0: Ronaldo! Oh
1: my goodness! You don't save those! Out of this world!
2: Messi!
0: Messi! Messi! Three nothing! Landon Donovan, are things on here for the USA? Can they do it here? Cross, and Devsey's denied again! And Donovan has scored! Can you believe this? Go,
1: go, USA! Certainly through! Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! For the fourth
2: time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world.
0: From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Well, another week of great soccer across the world, both on our shores and in Europe. It's FUVFC back again in studio at Rose Hill's campus. Sorry, at Fordham University's Rose Hill campus here in the lovely Rose Hill studios of Fordham University in the Boogie Down Bronx joining us. He had to make it in one of the busiest days of his life, I imagine. (laughs) And we're so grateful that he's here. It's Andy Rodriguez, and in making his triumphant return to the podcast is Chris Shepard. I'm very, very privileged to have these guests with me. We'll we'll open the thing today up with some introductions. Andy, I know you had a busy day today, but we're so grateful to have you here and hope you're looking forward to talking some soccer for an hour. Get away from all the, the heaviness of, of, of life for, for just a little bit, man. Yeah,
1: definitely. This is like my break today, you know. Good, um, good power napping in the Metro-North, always ascend, and then Love ref- that. refreshed for to talk the best sword in the world, so it, mm-hmm. it should be a good one. I'm very excited about this one. Chris, sir, how are we?
2: I'm doing fine, <laughs> considering <laughs> the circumstances of my Bayern Munich falling to Saarbrücken, uh, but I'm excited to talk Ballon uh excited to talk about... Some interesting derbies this week as mm-hmm. well, so it's going to be a good show.
0: Yeah, let's get right into the thick of it because it was a big week. We are going to talk a little bit, Chris, just just to let you know it's not going to be that long. Uh, it's not going to be that long, uh, only a little bit. We'll start off the show with something that got everything, got everybody in, involved in the soccer world, excuse me, hot and bothered, and that is the Ballon d'Or voting. It, it, it was made very clear uh, at least a week before. I don't remember the timeline exactly when Fabrizio Romano put out that tweet that said confirming Lionel Messi's going to win this award. And, and all the other awards were essentially leaked out as well um, with the goalkeeper award going to Emi Martinez, even though he finished beneath another goalkeeper in the Ballon d'Or voting, which doesn't make any sense. Um, my first thought about that was like, oh, OK, so then why is there like a ceremony? It's like they don't re- release the winners of the Oscars or the Grammys ahead of the actual event. And I saw a very funny tweet. Some I don't remember who, but someone saw that, quote tweeted it, and was like, you just ruined my watch party for the Ballon d'Or ceremony, because like, that's a thing. But regardless, we knew it was going to be Lionel Messi. He wins his eighth, and he becomes the crown jewel of Major League Soccer doing so. Major League Soccer once again has an MLS player. Who has won the Ballon d'Or? Like, is that? Come on, we live in a world where MLS has won the Ballon d'Or. It's awesome, guys. Well, just get used to it because it's happening every year. Well, now.
1: yeah, because everyone goes retire there. So of course, <laughs> someone who was good and hey, had look, a Ballon d'Or Hey, look, you call d'or him. You say you say he's retiring and he wins.
0: That's the pretty Ballon much d'or. what MLS
1: is. Suarez so is going there now. Another retirement home, Inter Miami. Hey, oh so, well, look,
0: yeah. hey, look, he didn't win. He didn't win uh, at his previous retirement home in Brazil. All right, just saying. Some retirement homes bring Ballon d'Ors. Some d- some others don't. All right, MLS just <laughs> happens to be bringing Ballon d'ors in left and right. All right, just saying. <laughs> But the reason that it bothered everybody, not because he won it and was in Major League Soccer, but because he won it and some others didn't, particularly, Man City's crown jewel, Erling Holland. And I say crown because he's got super blonde hair like a crown. And Kylian Mbappe, who was arguably just as good as mess at the, at the World Cup, and if the final goes the other way, he probably wins the Golden Ball. Um, probably wins. I think he did win the Golden Boot technically or were they tied on the golden boot and Messi got it for assists or something either way Mbappe had just as impressive of a season as Lionel Messi but that one trophy seems to have given Messi enough for his eighth Ballon d'Or and some people put a lot of stock into this trophy as uh, a a touchstone of football if you will when you look back on years and you think this player won the Ballon d'Or this year because it was a fantastic season it's something that transcends the sport for many people personally. I do not really care who wins the Ballon d'Or at the end of the year, and as a Messi fan, I'm actually excited that he's won it, although I do think maybe it was a little undeserved compared to his previous seven, which were all... Pretty well deserved, in my opinion. Whoa, 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 whoa! (laughs)
1: 2019? We want to talk about 2019. Van Dyke got robbed, man. Van,
2: like, what are we talking about? Lewandowski? No, 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 Lewandowski.
1: You can make a case for, but like, Messi's worst seasons are
0: all these other people's best seasons, and he still wins Ballon d'Ors in years where he's like average to his own standard.
1: But yeah, 2019, he shouldn't have won. Van Dyke didn't get dribbled by like a single time the whole season, and then 2020, they're just like Lewandowski, you're just not getting an award because like, why not? and then 2021 you're like yeah Messi you're back like it's just it's not even just that i feel like it's lost credibility over the years it's sure. not just Messi uh-huh. like steals it if you want to put it that I mean, way you look at 2018 Modric, yeah he didn't, about that that. he didn't deserve that he didn't deserve that. i'm a madrid fan and i still can mm-hmm. say Madrid didn't deserve 2018 so it's definitely lost credibility. credibility jeez i can't speak um i don't know i just like it's voted on by journalists you know like these guys are basically pundits Roy Kent put it really well in Ted Lasso. <laughs> I don't remember like word by word, but he's basically saying like pundits are just there predicting what's going to happen and then they get mad when it doesn't happen. They you know, say, like, oh, it's rubbish. Yeah, yeah. Like, what do they know really? Like, they're just theorizing and they just go wherever they like the most. It's, it's not who actually is the best player.
2: My question is what did Erling Holland have to do to win this award? I mean, he did everything right, he made the big money move to City. He scored basically a goal a game, and he didn't win the trophy. And I agree with Andy. The integrity of this award is completely gone if you're not considering the fact that winning the Champions League and, I mean, basically the treble, and Messi just winning the World Cup and playing for a very mediocre-at-best PSG team, I mean... And Inter-Miami. Yep, and Inter-Miami, and... I don't know. <laughs> I, I I just think that, looking at this year especially, the year that potentially, this next generation could break through, could win a Ballon d'Or, and it goes to the same man, and I just can't wait till you know these young stars, Hall and Mbappe, maybe even Andy's prized Jude Bellingham uh, breaks <laughs> through. Um, my Jamal Musiala maybe, um, but yeah, it's. The same old story year in, year out, it feels like.
1: Well, I'm, I'm not mad that it was the same guy, you know? Because, like, if it's deserved, then, yeah, give it to the same guy. I'm mad because I don't think he deserved it. To your question of what did Holland have to do, he should have chosen to play for England, low-key. <laughs> like, then maybe he would have gotten yeah. some goals in the World Cup, and who knows? Or maybe his, he should have been born in Argentina and be called Lionel Messi and then have that season and easily win. S- I don't know. So my question is this. Now that we've all kind of established that, they don't always generally
0: pick the best player they kind of they kind of pick whoever's year it was right 2018 because of the World Cup that was kind of Luka Modric's year 2022 or 2023 they awarded it kind of became the year of Messi because of that World Cup and you could argue that it was just as much Erling Haaland's year for what he was doing at the club level Um, so my question now is this is this award worth our attention and our time because that's when I opened it up with the uh, the whole joke about watching the ceremony, because nobody actually really sits down and watches the ceremony unless you're speed and you get invited. To, I was uh, about to mention speed. Yeah. <laughs> Which what is that about? See, like, okay, yeah, this big, big, big award with integrity. Yeah, let's invite an 18 year old Twitch streamer who barks during like, the barks ceremony and like doesn't Sweet. actually know this. Bo- and that's not me saying like I don't have any problem with the, that kid. He's just a kid. He's a goofball on a screen. Why is he at this award if it's so prestigious? So to your point. Is it one worth our time? Two, if it's not journalists deciding, who decides? Should it be players and coaches? I know it certain, certainly shouldn't be fans, because definitely won't change the results if it's the fans who vote on it. Um, so I, I, I'm sort of apathetic about the whole individual, you know, group chosen awards yeah. when they're not done by the leagues like they often are, and at least in our American perception of this sort of thing. You know, the the NFL gives out MVP awards, right? The league does it. And the leagues do it as well in soccer, Like Premier League gives out its own awards. La Liga gives out its own awards. But because there's so many different leagues and it's the most syndicated sport in the world, we want to have one unifying body declare this is the best. And it can't really be done that way without some subjectivity. So if it's not journalists... Is it then players and coaches? Cause I th- but you can't vote for anybody who you've played or coached for because then you could be biased. I don't know. I think it's a flawed system, and I think it's maybe our own fault for putting too much stock into this award. But I still enjoy seeing who the nominees are every year, so maybe it- it's my own fault for being this naive. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think the nominees are a good like um, benchmark to see like who performed. Because mm-hmm. in general, I don't think the nominees have ever been like
0: really bad like
1: there, they've been pretty accurate there
0: there have been there there's always a few names that are included that i'm thinking are these really among the best 30 in the world last year or did they oh, happen like, to be in, like emmy in, martinez yeah, like look Jorginho finished what what in the voting in the 2020 or 2023? oh he was like really high, he was yeah. third or something right <laughs> like what no he just happened to be on the team that won the euros and champions League. like he was a, a sizable part of that team sure he wasn't the best midfielder on either of those teams let alone the best player let alone one of the best players in the world. So, look, I it's pe- to your point, yes, it has lost credibility, but it's not losing any more credibility that it has already lost in the past. Thierry Henry put very poignantly what you put uh, beautifully, I would say. You did a better job than TT, and I love him. So okay. he said the same thing about journalists. I played that clip uh, for Chris before you walked in, and – the point is, you could go back so many years and say, like, this guy didn't deserve it. That guy didn't deserve it. I think it's kind of time. This is this is my little soapbox moment. I think it's time we stop paying so much attention to Ballon d'Ors and stop using them as, like, a metric for success so much. And I know yeah. that you might like that because you're not a big fan of the guy who's now got the most of all time.
1: Well, it's also like what you mentioned of where like where we know who's gonna win beforehand. Right. So like, it also what, like what eliminates the, the, the hype. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't even like I feel like it was two weeks. I don't know. It was like a ridiculous amount of time where like everyone knew he was gonna win. So a gr- Griffin yeah, is not exciting.
0: Sorry, sorry for interrupting just then, but Griffin has just texted the group chat to let us know that Rashford was not nominated. <laughs> um that's I'm not a correct, I'm not column, sure if that helps helps the validity of the of the uh, selection anymore or hurts it based on your view, Griffin. But, um, yeah, that is, that is also a reminder. <laughs> Rashford was not nominated for the Ballon d'Or. Any final thoughts on... I guess, we, This is kind of us just, like, taking down the authority of the Ballon d'Or right now.
2: I will say this, though. We have one of the most talented group of youngsters coming up. We have uh, what I would call the first tier of Holland and Mbappe, right? And then you look at Jude Bellingham, who could break into that tier... One of my favorites, Jamal Masiala. So these are a group of guys where every year there could be kind of mystique surrounding this award if there is, you know, one or two of these guys who have a good season and then the Ballon d'Or can become credible. But until then, you know, I just feel like the same person winning every year, no matter who it is, um, kind of ruins the credibility for me. But... If this young generation can step up and this kind of group of four or five guys who I think can produce every year kind of makes it a close conversation every year, then I think the d'Or can regain credibility.
0: And, you know, I think that that's an important point to make because Messi made the same point, right? He got up there and said, "Holland, you probably should have won it. Mbappe, you probably could have won these before and you will win them. So I think the the two of them are going to be leading that race for sure in a very similar Messi Ronaldo theme if you ask me moving forward i think they're n- never going to fill those shoes but they'll be yeah. just about as close as we are going to get uh in that race moving forward and guys like Jamal Musiala will be and Jude Bellingham just to- and Vinicius Jr and, and Vinny yeah, sure sure yeah. sure and you, know, you know maybe maybe too? one day you but while both your teams get a little love there maybe one day John Tolkien rises <laughs> to the challenge <laughs> and can be a Ballon d'Or <laughs> who nominee, who knows. Well, let's talk about Jamal Musiala's team for a brief moment, Chris. Should we? we should. And I'm going to throw it over to you in a moment because I want you to tell tell me if you're listening to this and you're and you know it, we're talking about Bayern right now, Chris, that's your club. Um uh, they fell to Saarbrücken, third division side in the Deutsche Pokal yesterday. Um and it wasn't like one of those times where they beat the Bayern reserves. They beat they beat Bayern. And um that's not great timing because this weekend is just about the biggest match on the calendar. Because not only is it Der Klassiker, it's on the road at Signal Iduna Park, that is the toughest place to play on the road in Germany, with the exception of
1: Allianz Arena, I would say. Nah, Do- I think Dortmund's crazier. I think yeah, oh, Dortmund, Dortmund might be crazier, course. but like their state, I think their stadium's harder. Just yeah. the fans are
0: their stadium, sure. But you still have to play a soccer match against the team, and Bayern being way better than, than Dortmund on paper is enough for me to say Allianz Arena is a tougher place to play, and I I, I will die on that hill that the quality of the opponent matters
1: when you say this well, is way a tough better than. Well, oh, I Bayern's think still that. up there. They got. Byr- yeah. I mean, Bayern. I mean, Dortmund's still up. Well, there. They so have twenty one points. Versus you're correct.
0: And this this is why I'm gonna give it over to Chris in a second, because we haven't seen Bayern be Bayern yet, and because they we saw them be way less than that even this week. What opportunities does this matchup now, this weekend, represent? Not only because they could go top of the table with a result going against Leverkusen as well, but they could also beat their rival on the road and reestablish, I would say, not only dominance, but their own form and their own standard. So yeah. how um, much, like, a lot rides on this. Yes, yes,
2: yes. This is a huge opportunity for Bayern. But before we get into their Klassiker, the Saarbrücken loss, I want to bring up three kind of big names that don't really have anything to do with byron but i just wanted to bring them up joao Polinia, trevor Chaloba, and armabella kochak those are three players that byron tried to sign at the deadline but failed at the final hour and i feel like when matthias delict went down last last uh, uh afternoon against Saarbrucken, i was like it's going to be one of these games because the three, the three players that I named could have really helped Bayern in terms of depth. And looking ahead to this game, I think that is where this game is going to be won and lost. The lack of depth for Bayern. Leon Goretzka may have to play this game with a broken arm. That's how bad <laughs> our depth situation it's is not right good. now. And I'm looking at this Bayern board and going, you have kind of failed this club in terms of, you know... I know that Tuchel has been pushing to get these signings and in a way he has been very kind of dictative in, in the way that he's taken over this club. But at the end of the day, you do need depth to kind of sustain a title challenge. And now with teams, not only Dortmund challenging at the top of the table, but teams like Bayer Leverkusen who've already taken points off us. it to be Leipzig who've already taken points off of us. So, I just look at Bayern's lack of depth right now, and I'm thinking, boy, we would be lucky to get a draw out of this game. And I hate to be the pessimistic fan, but there is no way I think this kind of broken and battered Bayern team can go into one of the most daunting settings in all of Europe and beat a Dortmund team that, even though they're not looking as confident as last season, can still put on a show for their fans. I mean, they have good players. I mean, Julian Brandt has had a great season. They signed Nicholas Fulkrug to help them up top.
0: Who has hit the ground running.
2: Yes, he has been on fire both domestically and, and internationally. For internationally, yes. But, yeah, I mean, just, <laughs> I don't know what to say about this Bayern team.
1: Wait, so do you think Bayern's going to lose against Dortmund? So you said a draw would be lucky.
2: I, I said a draw would be lucky. Yeah. I, I'm looking at this game, and I don't think this Bayern team that they're going to put on this field in a situation in which maybe one or two injured or uh, not fully fit players have to uh, step out on this field. I, I'm saying Dortmund could win this game, and handily too.
0: Wow. So even with, let's say, let's peel it back a little bit because I want to talk, you mentioned Tuchel and the board. I want to talk about that for a second. Mm -hmm. You peel back some of the players that maybe not everybody's walking wounded. Do you think everyone you have at your disposal, not regardless of the signings that you wanted to bring in for depth, if Bayern has their strongest 11 right now, how confident would you be going to Dortmund? Bar none right now.
2: Strongest 11, I would say we would probably win this game. Maybe not as comfortably as we have in the past, Mm -hmm but I would say we win this game. An unfit Bayern team, though, going into Dortmund. Mm-hmm. I am not confident.
0: So because lesser than other years, you mean, is that something you attribute to Tuchel or fully it's on the board because they're not bringing in those that
2: depth? It's a double-edged sword, I would say. I mean, Tuchel, you can look at, like, his lack of creativity and relying on the individual qualities of the players but it's also the board's fault as well. Tuchel did ask for a defensive midfielder, a number 6, and we've also seen Joshua Kimmich saying that hey, I'm a capable number 6, I can play the role and do a job, but I feel like Tuchel if he gets the players he wants could be onto something and I think that's what Bayern needed and certainly you can look at the board, you can look at a guy like Uli Honis, who has contradicted himself countless times saying, oh, the squad is too thin, but then going back and saying, we have a a team that is strong enough to contend for these big championships. And so I kind of feel like at the moment, I can't necessarily be that mad at Tuchel for wanting that depth, but I'm also not excited about him in terms Mm -hmm. of what I see on the pitch. Yeah, we uh, just had a huge win against Darmstadt, but it is Darmstadt, and they were down to nine men. So I'm kind of on the fence about that question because there's a lot of things that you can say about Bayern's faults. But, you know, it's... Yeah,
1: I I think it's the board. I mean, you saw, like, Nagelsmann being, like, sacked in March, (laughs) you know, which was, like, a crazy decision by Oliver Kahn, yeah. and then Kahn gets sacked at the end of the season, <laughs> like, immediately <laughs> after. like Yeah, as soon as they, like, win the league, which, like, it shouldn't have been that close. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, on the last day before he God even, like, leaves, or, like, him, you're Mama gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I-, I just think there's too many problems up in the board where, like, if you're, like, just cycling through coach like that and then, like, no one's really sure what to do, your CEO sacked, and then you're trying to figure out, like, what players to sign and whatnot. I'd say they're kind of similar to, like, United, where, like, it, the players are fine. It's just, like, the board is so rotten to the core, where, like, the problems just run too deep to, like, be performing, as they should.
0: Well, if I can offer a, a breath of fresh air, a sigh of relief, if you will, to Bayern. No. Um, <laughs> they hold themselves to quite a high standard, and the United comparison, I think, at a face value is, is very fair, but...
1: Oh, United is way worse. By- yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's not that bad. It's and, early uh, stages. Yeah, let's yeah.
0: reiterate that because Bayern are still yet to lose in the league. Mm-hmm. Seven wins and two draws is not too bad. They have the best offensive record. They have the best defensive record, and they're still the heavy odds-on favorite to win the league. So let's not. To make it, helping you out here, Chris. We're not making it <laughs> this is a, yeah. just a big pity party yet, because ten matches in, they have chance to turn things around. By the end of thirty-four matches on the year, if my money's on the table, I'm gonna put Bayern in the number one position. So we'll see if they can continue that. I I got a nod no over there from Andy Rodriguez, and I I think you would agree with that that they'd finish top of the table at the end of the year, all things said yeah, and done. F- but
1: that are is sleeping on Leverkusen. Man. That's yeah. a ways
0: away, and Leverkusen are are legit. Yeah. They are legit, and I and I hope that that stays for many years because they were once a massive massive club, and they deserve to keep that status and. It's only good for Bayern by the way and the rest of the Bundesliga if there are other giants in that league. So let's talk about some other giants in another league, Fun perhaps giants. the two biggest giants in all of world football. And Andy, this is this is going to be your time to shine. We're talking uh-huh. Classico. we're talking really just talking Jude Bellingham honestly because he is not only stealing all the headlines out of this uh, particular match but literally the entire season has been has been the season of Jude Bellingham and for good reason. I didn't think he was capable of all this. And I know we talked about it last week. He put a lot on his shoulders uh, offensively in this system in Real Madrid. And he has delivered and delivered and delivered. And guess what he did in the 92nd minute against their biggest rival in the biggest matchup in all of club football? He delivered. Andy, I'm sure you were screaming, watching the TV. I don't know what you were doing, my but phone, I'm sure it was yeah. awesome.
1: I was I was ecstatic. and uh, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. like The second goal was... like. Lucky, like everyone can admit <laughs> that that bounce off of Modric's foot is insane. But the first goal, Mamma Mia! That that goal was is insane, spectacular. ridiculous, and he just shut everyone up who was saying only tap-ins, which is not even true. If even if you remove that goal, but anyhow, everyone's like, oh, it's only tap-ins against small clubs. Well, guess what? He just scored on shut Barca, it. like the most insane. I am so goal. tired of the
0: tap-in argument. He scores like he scores like he goes on runs. He scored not. Not like long shots, long shots, but he has. He scores goals in close on the goalkeeper. He scores headers. He scores crosses. He builds up and then finishes. He's a jack of all trades. He's literally a Swiss army knife. He can play box to box. I would trust him to sit deep in my midfield, although I wouldn't waste him doing that because he's so creative going forward. I actually think, like I said, when we talked about the Ballon d'Or, 2022, you could have argued it was the year of Messi, it was the year of Erling Holland. This is very much shaping up to be the year of Jude Bellingham. And... I know that excites you as a Real Madrid fan. Oh, yeah. But as someone who has seen him in the Bundesliga, did you expect him to, to to have this much growth and, and be this impactful immediately at Real Madrid? Yeah,
2: boy, has he taken the Bernabeu by storm. Um, boy, have they knocked it out of the park with him. I will say this. Based on last year, Jamal Masiala was robbed with <laughs> the Copa Trophy. <laughs> <laughs> I think he had the better season, but this could be shaping up to be the year of Jude Bellingham. I mean he has what 13 goals across 13 games. Uh, he's, he looks incredible, you know, for a team that lost Karim Benzema, obviously a huge piece of that team. And for Jude Bellingham to kind of step up and be the cog of this midfield, a midfield that has had many stalwarts over the years and Cruz and Modric holding it down and Casemiro, um, just to like, take over that role and make it his own. It's been kind of incredible, and he is one to watch for next year's Ballon d'Or race. I I love the
0: way you put that because not only does he fill the void of Modric and Kroos in being that stable force in midfield, but he's come in and he's been their goal production. He's been Mm -hmm. the focal point of just about everything in that team. Not not to say that Vinny Jr. hasn't still been Vinny Jr. I, I don't know if... Uh, he's been underperforming I'm, I'm a saying bit, The, the but. numbers aren't there, but he's he's still very much playing to his standard. And the, the, the team in general is still remarkable, but he's made it his own he's like, so quickly.
1: Yeah, he's like the newcomer of Inga, man. Man yeah. does everything. He's like back defending, makes the run all the way up forwards, then he scores the goal. It's just it's just great to see, you know? like Our midfield is so stacked. But it doesn't matter because they're still winning. I'm still afraid that I did mention in the podcast last week where like, I do think if they want to make a Champions League run, they will need a striker. So mm-hmm. maybe the, yeah. the winter transfer season. I don't know. But but at least for now, it's working. I don't think it's a good solution long term. But but hey, it's working so far. It is
0: certainly working, and it's interesting to me that Carlo Ancelotti, I mean, he's not necessarily afraid of changing things but completely has reshaped the system, it feels, to work around Jude Bellingham and to work through him. And there's... It hasn't been, like, exploited yet. It has been running smoothly, and Real Madrid are cruising uh, to the top of the table right now, tied on points with Hidona, of all teams, which is blowing my mind. Yeah, that's weird. And that, that, that title race, I just want to focus on that before we shift gears, and we're going to talk about a a derby that happened in England this weekend. Um <sighs> <clears throat> Excuse me. that I'm not looking forward to that part. So, there's within first place in La Liga, it's four points. Real, Girona tied for first on 28. Atletico in third on 25. And then Barca, having just lost for the first time now in fourth on 24 points, they're not going anywhere. There's a four-point jump down all the way to Sociedad, so there's a decent gap that is going to get wider as we form. But that top four, that could be a ridiculous race, especially yeah. if... The new kids on the block,
1: Girona, can keep that going. And Not even that. Atletico has one game in hand still. So if yeah. they win their they tie, it's top. a three-way tie, which is <laughs> ridiculous. But um, for all those Atleti fans and Drona fans that are like, oh, we're going to like beat Madrid, I got only one thing to say. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. Yeah, you're going to hear that every day <laughs> at the Bernabeu, and you're going to lose every time. That's all I got to say. Well, the man, the uh, City Football Group money kicking in for Girona has, has definitely made
0: a difference, I'll say that. Uh, I don't know if they'll finish ahead of any of the other three teams in the top four, but they're certainly making it interesting to this point of the season. Another team who's making it interesting for other reasons and for reasons that really disappoint Griffin Stevenson back there is Manchester United, unfortunately, <laughs> because in their last two matches... They've managed to lose 3-0 twice and not only to their one of their biggest rivals, one of the biggest rivalries in world football, the Manchester Derby. They fell 3-0 at Old Trafford and then once again, oh no, 3-0 to Newcastle in the Carabao Cup, in the League Cup, which Griffin, and I don't mean to keep just like talking about him in the third person because I want to get him the opportunity to say this himself and he will very, very soon. Said that he was a little bit more disappointed because the Carabao Cup was a realistic trophy to win, and I'm with him on that. I'm with him in that respect, but I can't. I can't get over the scenes of the City fans singing at the top of their lungs in Old Trafford, and what that must mean. Because look, the transformation that Manchester City's done over the last 10, 15 years is night and day. They were the oldest team in Manchester, but then there were fewer of them. And then they've kind of turned the city back in their favor, which no one in the world would have expected 15 years ago. That whole thing was pretty, pretty cool to look at from a neutral perspective, or from a United perspective. Boy, was that disheartening. And week after week, we come on this show, we talk about, hey, look, McTominay scored two, two late goals. I guess that's pretty cool. They beat Copenhagen and Onana had a penalty. So they're kind of stepping into the right direction, but it's the babyest of baby steps. And I, we, I don't want to give United the benefit of the doubt because we've talked about it again and it's reared its old head. The club is not ready to compete at this super, super high level and be considered among the elites in my opinion right now. And there's just there's just no real identity of this club at the moment. There's no There's no one name, one leader, one group that you look to and say these guys define who we are. They're kind of just there going yeah. through the motions. They're kind of a pretend big club right now and this week is another reminder of that. and But look, uh, we'll, in a moment we'll talk about real solutions to real problems. But that is my overall mood and attitude around Manchester United. And again, I say this a lot. It's kind of how it's been for a l- 10 years, ever since Sir Alex left.
1: Yeah, it, it's been rough for them for a long, long time. I know because my dad's a United fan, so I kind of still have like a bit of a connection to United. I, I root for them occasionally, but after they... Massacred my boy, Ronaldo. I had to, like... I'm hoping for the downfall so Ten Hag leaves and then I can root for them again. But look, them using to the other Manchester and then the other United. Three-nil both <laughs> times. United, I like that. The fact that you had City fans chanting at Old Trafford. The crazy part is not that they're chanting. The crazy part is they're City fans. Like, that's how bad it is. Mm. You know, like, City, you didn't have fans like <laughs> 10 years ago. There was like... It was like three people there. But But now they're, like, taking the world by storm and... The fact that they were aiming for, like, the Carabao Cup, too, like, that's the expectation Ida has. That's when you know it's bad. Like, that, if you say that 10 years ago, that is disrespectful. But that, that's the expectation. That's the only trophy they've won in the last two years. Yeah. And people on Twitter are flexing, like, oh, we can want that trophy. Like, no, it, it's a trash season. <laughs> Ten Hogs had eight losses in 15 games. Come on. Eight, that's over 50%. That's worse than Mourinho 6-17 and when he got sacked. So, I don't know. It's it's looking really, really rough.
2: First of all, I want to shout out one of my uh, cult clubs that I follow, Wigan Athletic, because they got City when they were vulnerable. But back to the game (laughs) at hand. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Back to the game at hand. The most concerning thing for United about this game was that for large portions of this game, City did not look at their best. And... I was shocked because City had the lion's share of the possession, but they definitely did not look as potent as we know them to be until, let's say, the 65th to 70th minute mark. And looking at United, on the other hand, I'm just like, does this team have an identity? Because there are moments where they advanced it near the final third, but they just could not go past a man, get across into the box, and, like, I was just looking at all the players that they brought in, like the creative players, like Amrabat and Mount, and I don't think I heard their name once. It was just a very terrible game. And then you lose to a Newcastle side. The less we say about that Newcastle lineup, the better. <laughs> the players <laughs> in that lineup were from the Steve Bruce era, I believe. <laughs> so. <Bruce-y. laughs> So, um, yeah, the less we say about that, the better. But you want to know what I think the solution should be for United? Ground sack, up. Sack Eric Ten Hag and bring in the real MM7, Simon Minter from the Sign Simon Men. Minter
0: to run to Manchester United Mason back to glory. Yes.
2: Simon Minter. Get him on the pitch right now. What
0: about, uh? isn't Toby a Man United fan?
2: Yeah, Toby. Yeah. Yeah. Toby yeah, would yeah. do a good job. Back I, in think, there. I think Toby. Manny and Chris to- M D. Manny and Toby. Jersey? Manny yeah. and
0: Toby to run the club together. I give think, him would a, sp- ideal. a prime sponsorship. And prime sponsor- gonna start for prime sponsorship. No, Arsenal no sponsorship. <laughs> I can't do it.
1: Look, I will say this about the
0: reason I brought up those chants is Not only because it's City fans singing in in Old Trafford. It's happened multiple times now because teams go to Old Trafford and and win games there. Not like they used to. And the one part of their song that they that they really uh. That really stuck out to me was, uh, I think I don't remember the lyric exactly, but it was, Glazers ten more years or something. And do you know, do you know, do you know how like, <laughs> do you know how how crazy you have to be, to go to their stadium, to sing to their owners, stay longer, because you're bad and we're better than you now. The like it couldn't be more clear to me that they need to not be involved with Manchester United anymore your biggest or not even your biggest rivals, your lesser thought of rivals, your noisy neighbors are now making fun of you by name in your stadium in front of your fans, beating you 3-0.
2: Leave. Yeah. Man Yeah. There's the door.
0: That should be like if that like imagine if I was the owner of Manchester United and Manchester City fans were singing ten more years burly, I could never live with myself. Yeah. That the the, the, the amount the amount of, of of lack of personal shame you need to have to have your opposing f- like the not just opposing fans your rival opposing fans sing your name for the club that you own because you're doing a bad job that that just i think the city fans get it united fans get it world football fans have kind of come to the agreement that the glazers have no business being uh, anywhere near manchester united anymore i I'm, I'm so ready for that to to turn the page and just like can we get that that cha- chapter of manchester united's history over and done with and there are rumors of Qatar's involvement now but they keep pumping the brakes on that and i don't want i don't know where that's going so i won't say any more about that because i'm sure we'll learn about that in later years i can't i can't imagine the glazers are involved with manchester united by the end of 2025 i i, I i'm putting a bold prediction on that and i'm giving myself a big window on it because yeah, this like- is not the first time that they've been called out not only by their own fans, but now by other fans. Yeah, they put it on the market
1: and then they were like, actually we take that back. Yeah. Like well, it's it's ridiculous. And I was about to say we were go. insulting Ten Hag, but the, the, they are the real problem. The Glazers yes. need to leave. Yes. Because you have had good coaches. It's at that at some point it's not the coach's fault. Like well, you know there's something else. You can look
0: and I was talking to Griffin about this. Sorry, I have to bring you up again, buddy. We were talking about we were talking about the managers and he was saying, Look, you can look back on Mourinho's record with United and, and, and say this and this about it and I was saying just any of the manager they have at, have they've had since Sir Alex Ferguson has been pretty much set up to just fail to to go to go about the motions, bring in players for two, three, four years, expect them to lead the charge, uh, make one or two big, big signings, big, big. I mean, and then kind of let them go in a couple years, and you you figure out solutions, and you have a core group of players who stays for you know a while, but then, but the exception of David De Gea, they're all none of them are really like super, super important players. Like, Victor Lindelof has been one of the longest-serving Manchester United players, and I'm like, he's a good, solid player. He doesn't scream to me like Manchester United legend to play center back there and hold that position for so long like the guys who came before him and Rio Ferdinand and Nemanja Vidic. They're just not doing a good enough job, and then they bring in managers, and they let them be the scapegoat for a little while, and that's not fair to those managers. And I'll say say this about United. It'll be my last piece, and it'll be a little bit optimistic, and it's that what I feel now is that at least Eric Ten Hag has a project. I'm not saying he's a great manager, but unlike managers like Jose Mourinho, there is ideas that two, three years down the line, the team will be playing a certain way with these certain players. I'm not saying it's guaranteed to happen, and knowing Manchester United, it's more likely that Eric Ten Hag is fired by the end of 2024 than he is getting this team to a top-four spot. But... His ambition speaks to me more than any other United manager over the last few years. And partially that's because no one has been really given the keys the way Eric Ten Hag has. When you look at Ralph Raniuk, you look at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So maybe they're just changing things up a little bit and I'm being a fool. But it's not all sun signs and rainbows. In fact, quite the opposite um, if if you guys have anything more you want to say on Manchester United, now is the time because we are going to move on. Because I'm ready to wrap that up for sure.
1: Yeah, I was just reminded of the when Mourinho said like one of his best jobs of his career was to get second place with Man United in the Premier League, and I think now that's even worse. Like if you finish fourth this season, that would be a huge win to get back in the Champions yeah, League. Sure, that's where the expectations are. So enough said. Like enough stopped. said. Yeah,
2: two names: Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans. If that is your center back pairing. In 2023. Hey, look, man, Harry Maguire. that good. Harry I mean, Maguire he was the hero. Yeah, he out. scored against Copenhagen. I'll give him that. But I was, I was, and you know what? All
0: right, I will say one more thing about United. It was going to be about Harry Maguire. I said it last week. I was so happy for him just because he gets right. too much hate. Um, he is not that great of a footballer, though. Unfortunately, <laughs> he 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 did do so. He did he did do terrifying. very well. He's he is. Look, man, when he gets some space in the box, he can he can whip a mean header on goal. And I have seen him do it for England. I've seen him do it for United. And I've seen him do it against United for Leicester, which was probably the peak of his career, to be honest. Um, I think he perked. Out. I don't know if you remember that. Anyway, we are going to shift gears now to some more high-stakes matches, meaning that you could get knocked out and your season could be over if you lose one of these. Starting this weekend, because we are into match two of round one of match of match of a three-match series. I see you guys are making this terrible. I'm looking at you. Uh, uh, Don Garber, commissioner of Major League Soccer, because what is this? What is this playoff format? I come on here every week to complain about it, and I'm doing it again because I can't stand you people sometimes. But I do love your league, and I love the teams in it. So we're gonna talk about it, and I think we're gonna start first in New York because we have to. Yeah, things things didn't things were bad last weekend. Mm-hmm. Things were bad. Um, they they went from bad to worse because Alvaro Barreal scored what was a very good finish in the first half, and it was a good team goal. They ran right through the Red Bulls' defense, and then ugh, 12 minutes later, disaster at the back. Andres Reyes tries to head it to his goalkeeper, Carlos Coronel, um, kind of jogged to the ball, and then it was just an open net for Lucho Acosta, the MLS MVP. And then the Red Bulls gambled in the second half, tried to get shots on goal, didn't, gave up another stunner in the 89th minute to Barreal. Their two best players stepping up for a 3-0 win. On paper... Really bad. The performance, not so terrible with the exception of two big, big defensive mistakes in the first half, which you just can't have against good teams because the Red Bulls, I've said it before, they're not a good team. So if you want to win against good teams, you do what you do best, and you defend, you defend, you defend, you maybe steal a goal. They didn't do that. It didn't go their way. And now their last home match of the year guaranteed is on Saturday. If they win, they get another one uh, on the road against Cincy in this uh, three-game series because that's a thing again. Sure. Um I'm not as bullish, no pun intended, about their opportunity to get to the next round because it is Cincinnati, the supporter shield winners, and because they can just hurt you in so many different ways. And the Red Bulls needed to be perfect defensively to get a result in the first game. And they're going to have to do that even though they're at home on Saturday. So I have my doubts about the way that they'll go through either way. I'm just grateful that I get to go and cover one more game for WFEV sports this year. Um, that is always a privilege. I'm very grateful for that. And I hope it's not a super, super uh, sad event right afterwards where I'm getting sad quotes from all the guys, uh, some of which will be leaving the club for sure at the end of the year. Um, But I do think that they showed even in that 3-0 loss, before they went down in the 23rd minute, they had the bulk of the ball. They were driving the pace of the game. Uh, Just came up short because of the way that they defended in that first half. And that's not like them, but they do have a chance to get it back on Saturday. Even though I'm not uh, as confident as I once was.
1: Yeah, I will say the one thing working for you in this chance, uh, in this moment, if you're a Red Bulls fan, is the fact no that aggregate. the formatting. Is, yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. The <laughs> fact that the formatting is so dumb. At least the three goals, like they don't matter. It's yeah, just that you lost. That's why they were
0: able to gamble in the second half. It didn't matter if they gave up three, four, five. Yeah, which so is stupid, by the way. Yeah, they the shouldn't fo-
1: have that opportunity. The format is really dumb. But if you're a Red Bulls fan, it's working for you right now. Don't think they'll get the result at Cincinnati, but but hey, they they have a bit of a better chance than if it was played the right way with the right rules.
2: <laughs> yeah, um to be honest with you, I haven't been following MLS as much as I have in recent years, but I feel like Red Bulls just ran into a buzzsaw, you know. Uh it feels like Cincinnati is the supporter shield winner for a reason, you know. They have yeah. This blend of experience, you know. Lucia Costa is a name that's been around the MLS. But I do want to go back to something that was said last week in terms of picking a side to potentially win the MLS Cup. And I know Andy's pick, Orlando City, also got a win. But I am jumping on a team that I have always been a fan of, always kind of followed. Uh, my beloved Seattle Sounders. I'm jumping on the James Burley bandwagon here. The thing about Seattle was, I remember one of the last Sounders games I've watched in the past two or three years was the CONCACAF Champions League final, where they beat Tigres. Great game. It was a fantastic game. Raul Ruiz Diaz, my hero. (laughs) Um, But anyways, I kind of feel like the reason that I've, stopped watching as much MLS as I have is because it kind of felt like Seattle kind of sold their soul to kind of win that. They invested so much in that tournament and it kind of felt like they gave up on the MLS season. as the only uh, MLS season where they missed out on the playoffs, Correct. you know? And I just feel like there was a number of factors they were trying to incorporate youngsters in that I don't think were ready. Like Reed Baker Whiting, they tried to incorporate Obed Vargas. But looking at this year, you know, I don't think they looked particularly good. Good enough for me to warrant watching any of their games. But, yeah, I just think that they're one of the strongest sides in MLS for a reason. And I just feel like now Schmetzer has been able to kind of mix youth and experience to a degree that works. I feel like, you know, it's some of these guys last to raw. I know, I think I've heard rumors of Rui Diaz potentially leaving, you know. uh, Roldan's getting up there. But, you know, this younger generation stepping up as well. In the midfield, Leo Chu, I think, has been a fantastic, you know, person to kind of run that midfield should Christian Roldan leave. And how about Nuhutolo? Oh, legend, man. Legend. legend. I used to hate Nuhutolo. World Cup legend. But, uh... Yeah, I just think that this Sounders team, you know, I might have to get back into them again should they win MLS Cup.
0: To, to put it a different way, Chris, because I'm so glad you agree with me, that the youth influx came maybe just one year too early for Brian Schmetzer. Oh, but yeah. it was important that it did because with guys like Joel Paulo going down with a torn ACL in that Champions League match, they were without a focal point in holding midfield for the entire year. So a guy like Obed Vargas had to come in. A guy like Danny Leiva had to come in an attacking midfield and play a big, big role. And eventually, they, they, they end up, they end up learning the, the, their their roles in the team. But now, when these guys come back, these main players, and now the midfield is Albert Rushnak, Christian Roldan, and Nico Ladero, That it's a much stronger Jean Paulo. They, they, they have all those pieces there. They have all this experience, all this winning experience, both in the continental level and MLS. They've won a couple cups. Yeah, it'd be hard to bet against them, especially with Brian Schmetzer, one of the most seasoned coaches in this league, having all of his options at his disposal. So I think it's a very wise choice, Chris. I'm glad you agree with me on that. And if I can bring it over to the East again to talk about your pick was Orlando City. I mean, they they kind of beat Nashville at their own game in the first match. It took what I don't know if you saw the goal that Orlando scored But if you haven't, look it up. It was an absolute screamer from Wilder Cartagena from outside the box, bar down back into the bar, like dirty. Those are always dirty stuff. And Nashville are one of the big best defenses in the league. And and look, Orlando knew we get on the board, we can beat them at their own game and lock them in and defend them. And Alex Muiel did miss a big chance early in that first half that would have changed everything. But after that, it was all Orlando. They shut out the game so well. They made Hani Mukhtar's life really difficult. I n- I did not see one moment where Hani Mukhtar or Sam Surridge, their their new DP striker, ever had a pocket of space in a dangerous area. To me, that would have har- That would have scared Orlando City. And the one time that they did get like a force a really good reaction save out of Pedro Gallese. It was super tight end on the keeper where they couldn't get a great angle. And Gallese is one of the best in the business in this league, uh, the the goalkeeper for the Peruvian national team. So Nashville, while they'll be at home on the weekend, or I believe that's next week, midweek on yeah, Tuesday, mid-week. they really have their work cut out for them because Orlando, Oscar Perea's side is firing off on all. soldiers like a well-oiled machine in ways that I didn't even think they were going to
1: succeed. Yeah, I mean... I picked Orlando for a reason. You know, I, I predict these things, as McGregor <laughs> said.
0: So, um. Well, if we can go back to uh, the summer, we all know what you predicted
1: this summer, man. Yeah, oh, let's yeah. go for a wild prediction. I'm not actually serious about this one, but how about MLS cut between Orlando and Seattle Sounders? Uh. How about that? The only reason why uh, yeah. I kind of like I the Sounders now it, that you mentioned it is because I'm reminded of the time that a great Guatemalan star played in Seattle Sounders, 2014-15, Marco Papa. Marco So Papa. I feel a small connection to the club now that you mentioned them.
0: What about, um, the? I believe, the the greatest or the at least the highest score in Guatemalan history, Car- oh. Carlos Ruiz? Pescadito Ruiz. Played for uh, FC Dallas, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did who, play who for are, FC Dallas. Who's, who's Seattle Sounders are currently matched up against. Yeah, so, but you got to go for the Sounders. They're better. <laughs> okay, there you go. There you go. So <laughs> I play tall. both sides, so I always come out on top. Excellent. So... To reiterate, back to New York, though, because this is a, we, this is a New York show. We, we do have to we do have to. – I'm going to end on the Red Bulls because if I, if I give a beacon of hope, it's that they're still going to play their game, right? They're going to make Cincinnati's life difficult. They minimize the mistakes, and I think they get a goal in the first half. It's their game to win. If they don't get a goal in the first half, if they go down, mm, I think that's the end of the season for them. What it's going to take, it's going to take – hopefully Daniel Edelman is fit and ready to play. He is guaranteed to be in the match. Maybe he comes on in the second half. He didn't start in that first match against Cincy, and the stability in the midfield uh, took a big toll. He's the youngster from Warren, New Jersey. He has been sort of the quote-unquote next Tyler Adams in that role, not to the same degree of player, of course, but still that stable, ball-winning, area-covering force in midfield. And without him... Troy Lesane went with Drew Yearwood instead, he was kind of more of the creative, deep, number eight midfielder that you don't necessarily expect to put in all that work defensively and cover all that ground, and the Red Bulls got exposed in that area. And you can't leave that area open for a guy like Lucho Acosta, who's going to win MLS MVP, and could really hurt you in those spaces. So I think Troy Lesane got that one wrong. I would have rather have seen Peter Stroud play for the injured Daniel Edelman, and now it's Sean Nealus uh, potentially going to be out for an injury, that could be a—if if there's no Sean Nealus, I think— it's going to be a, a really difficult for Hassan and Dom and uh, Andres Reyes to control the central defense, especially if that means JMI Tolkien's going to have to play more defensively because that kills the attack. So if those two players are healthy, especially Nealis, because you don't want to force Tolkien out of the attack, and Peter Stroud can do a job defensively if Troy Lassane trusts him. I, I I need those guys ready for the Red Bulls to win because, like I said, they need to be defensively perfect, and if they're not, it's the end of the season.
1: So that's what I have to do to win, but let's go up to, do you think they're going to win? What is What is your prediction for mm-hmm. this game? My prediction is that Daniel Edelman starts, that Sean Neela starts,
0: and that they play an incredibly, incredibly close game. I don't think they're going to score in the first half. Mm-hmm. I, think it's, I think they will lose, and they're going to lose on a late goal. It's going to be soul-crushing, but they're going to be in it the entire match. They're going to be the better team, and it hurts me to say this, but I predicted that they would go on the road and maybe get a result. So I'm trying to hope this works against me. Mm, yeah. I'm going for
1: 2-1 loss, of course. Or or of course of co- I had to throw the of course there. <laughs> or or 2-0. But uh like it it would be a competitive 2-0 if, if that's it's, possible. If
0: if look, there was a competitive 3-0 honestly in the in the most previous game I it doesn't look like that when you peel it away from the score, but that game was much closer than the scoreline led on. That's why they have to limit those mistakes.
2: Oh, yeah, right, I'm going to take Cincinnati in this one. I just think that they are the stronger team. They have the more experienced players. I will end with an interesting factoid about John Tolkien. His brother, Chris Tolkien, actually graduated a year ahead of me at St. Peter's Prep. So awesome! Oh, interesting wow. two degrees of separation there <laughs> from me.
0: Well, look, if it's any help, I hope he heard that and knows that we're thinking about yeah. him and that we're, we're all Inspired. pulling for him. And look, and if he hears me saying that I think we're going to lose on a late goal to Cincy in a 1-0 loss that's going to be soul-crushing, prove me wrong, JMI. I know you're made with that. you got that dog-in-you mentality. The the Red Bulls are very much that team that rallies behind getting a little bit of hate, being the underdogs, and they're going to have to do that on Saturday, November 4th at Red Bull Arena. I will be there for the last time this year with WFUV Sports. Speaking for the last time, I think that's just about all the time we have. I'm glad we were able to cover a lot today. We did Ballon d'Or. We did Europe. We did three different derbies across three different countries. We did uh, different uh, domestic tournaments. This was about one of the more loaded shows we've had, but we had to finish it off with the best of the best, MLS playoffs and the New York Red Bulls. Hopefully it's not the last week we're talking about the New York Red Bulls in the MLS Cup playoffs, but we'll have to find out after they play FC Cincinnati. Guys, thanks for coming, Andy. Thank you for squeezing it into your busy schedule. Andy Rodriguez for Chris Shepard making his great return to the show. I'm James Burley. We will see you guys next time.